0: Learn why entrepreneurs, hairstylists, pastors, military commandos, executives, professional athletes, and coaches trust over a decade of experience to find a clearer vision and purpose for life, career, and organization. Go to emmasgood.com forward slash R7 and apply today. Finally, get the clarity to level up your career, relationships, and confidence with R7.
1: Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening. We want to welcome you into the uh, Apply Rigor podcast. Whether you're hitting it on the treadmill, working out, driving, or whatever, we are here with you today, and I am extremely excited about what we have going on today. But first of all, before we go any further, I have to look to my left and say, how's it going, Dave Jones?
0: I am abundantly blessed and walk in the favor of God. That's a good thing, You know, it's just everything I touch prospers. It's absolutely amazing. Well, it's good to see you in your apply rigger T-shirt.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm, I'm trying to you know push the the merchandise for, for our younger part of the audience, <laughs> yeah. the merch, and to really make sure that it's it's driving forward, man. Yeah, you're, you're sporting it well. But I do want to say that if you, if you leave comments or you ask us any questions, there's a chance we may send you a t-shirt. And so we really want to ask you to engage with us as we continue to move forward. We'd love to send you a t-shirt. No, we would love to. We would
0: love to send you a t-shirt.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Well, hey, we've got something extremely special today. Uh, we're going to be talking to a leadership guru, a guy yeah. who's been in it for a really long time, and someone I'm pumped to get on this show, on this podcast, his name is Steve Farber, and I wanna give you a little bit of his background before we jump in. He's the chairman and founder of the Extreme Leadership Institute, an organization devoted to work with individuals, teams, and organizations to develop extreme leaders and deliver radical results in business, nonprofits, and education. He's listed on Inc.'s ranking of the top 50 leadership and management experts in the world. Number one on Huffington Post 12 Business Speakers to See. He's the best-selling author, popular keynote speaker, seasoned leadership coach and consultant who's worked with a vast array of public and private organizations in virtually every arena. His third book, Greater Than Yourself, which is, by the way, my favorite of his three, and, by, and here's the thing, I think it's the best book on mentoring I've ever read, and I'm not saying it because he's here, but when I read that, it was like mind-blowing. It debuted as a Wall Street Journal and USA bestseller. His second book, The Radical Edge, was hailed as a playbook for harnessing the power of the human spirit, and his first book, which I also love, which is killer too, The Radical Leap, a personal lesson in extreme leadership, was named one of the 100 best business books of all time. Right now, he is also writing a column for Inc., called the Extreme Leadership Chronicles. With all of that, I want to welcome Steve Farber to the show. Hey, Steve. Uh-huh.
2: Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me here. I'm trying to figure out how to lead a comment <laughs> so I can get a t-shirt.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. We'll make sure you get okay. one. We'll make sure you, you get one look, for yeah. sure. Okay, good. Hey, yeah. no problem. No problem. Well, hey, on this show, we talk a lot about Peaks and valleys. And so let's get into it. Let's get into it. Uh, you know, give us an idea of, I mean, you've been doing this for a long time. What are some of the peaks that you've seen in, in, in your career as a consultant, a coach, and speaker and author?
2: Yeah. Uh, thank you for asking. It's a great question. Um, I hope I haven't seen the highest one yet. Let me start with that. <laughs> mm. um, good. I've been doing this kind of work for 30 years. I've worked with, oh man, just about every kind of company and every kind of industry you can imagine. In all different kinds of ways and context, you know, as a, as a speaker, as a consultant, as a coach. So there's, there's actually, you know, I'm happy to say a lot to choose from, but there's one, there's one that really comes to mind for me that still registers as a peak. And it was a little bit off, I don't know what the term is, off book for what I usually do. Uh, back in 2011, we did an event here in San Diego called re Education, Mm. and we so we devoted an evening to uh teachers, parents and students the idea being that we should celebrate what's going right in education mm. uh what we can feel excited about because you know we we there's a lot wrong and uh, and that's that tends to suck the spirit out of educators mm. and that's all they're hearing is how terrible things are mm. so we um we got the uh, the USS Midway which is which is uh you know a big uh Uh, you know, retired um, aircraft carrier. We used that as the venue. We invited the local community. Mm -hmm. We had 900 people show up that evening. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I gave, I gave a keynote around the Radical Leap and we showcased uh, kids in the, in the San Diego area that are doing really cool things. And it was just a remarkable evening. And, and it really left an imprint on my, on my soul, Mm -hmm. as it were, because you know, for me, it was personally gratifying because the evening was built around my body of work and, and the impact that it's having on, on educators, but just in terms of seeing what happens when you invite a community to come together yeah. to celebrate each other, uh, w- and we had so many people show up. It was really, you know, a grassroots effort. It, it, just, it just lit me up on every level, yeah. um, and that was, you know, that was a while ago now, but I will never forget that evening. Wow.
1: How many were you hoping to see that night?
0: Six, seven. <laughs> <laughs> not, not 100, be, just six uh, or seven people.
2: <laughs> well, you know, we were, we were hoping for that many, but, you know, I've done a lot of events over the years where, you know, the hope and the actual outcome of uh, <laughs> the number of people that show up, uh, let's just say that there's usually a bit of a difference. Right on. So this just, this just really hit on, on all cylinders for,
0: <laughs> you know, for a lot of reasons. As we transition to from the peak down into the valley, you know, when you think about where, okay, pe- gotta go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, no. what what are some of the valleys that you've you've experienced, and what was the emotion that you got you got you out of those valleys?
2: Yeah, so the the most significant valley, I th- I think it's fair to say mm-hmm. that I've ever experienced was in the very beginning. In fact, the before the beginning. Of my current career, hmm. um, because you know, I started out. I didn't listen. If you would have asked me when I was in my teens and twenties what I was going to be doing in my thirties, forties, fifties, and now sixties, I wouldn't have described this. I wasn't born with with some impulse to be a, a leadership guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I was going to be a musician. That was the first thing that I pursued, and and it was it was a valley when I had to give that up. Cause I started a family really young. And that's a, another story for another time. But then I got into business, and I found out that I was an entrepreneur, and I ended up with my own, my own business in the financial services industry, or a particular section of the financial services industry called the commodities futures business, hmm. um, and I hated it. <laughs> I hated everything about it. And, hey, can you and be honest? With own, yeah,
0: just be honest right now.
2: <laughs> it, was my own, it was my own business. <laughs> so, You know, I mean, there are things. I loved the people that I worked with. I, I loved that I was learning about business, but that's, a, that's, you know, it's a really hard way to learn about business, but it's yeah. really the only way. And I, I, I really, it, it, I had a moral dilemma with my own business because the nature of the commodities business is that it's very speculative, and, and what that means is that people end up losing their money. And I, I, just, I just could not find a way to connect with that on a level that made me feel good about what I was mm-hmm. doing. Mm-hmm. So I got out of it. And this is the very short version of the story. I got out of it without having any idea what I was going to get into. Mm-hmm. So I started everything young. This was before I was 30 years old and I already had three kids. And oh, wow. I had three kids. I had a business that had failed. And I knew two things with absolute equal and crystal clarity. Number one, I knew there was something I was supposed to be doing on this planet. Yeah. I knew it. And number two, which is what I also knew with equal clarity, is that I had no freaking idea what it was. Mm. (laughs) I think there's a lot of people
1: that listen that probably feel that same way today. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's that, that thing about, you know, find your purpose and, you know, what are you meant to do on this planet? It's a, it's a really easy question to ask. And for some people, it's an easy question to answer. But for most of us, it's not. Uh, and it wasn't for me. I really had no clue. But here's what it did. Just I, the, I had such a burning desire to answer the question mm. that it made me hyper aware of, of the possibilities, and because I was open to anything. And then one day I was having a conversation with an old friend who said something about a mutual friend of ours that was doing some, this is as, as specific as it was, some kind of workshops for corporations. That was it. And all my lights went on.
0: Mm.
2: I said, that's it. I don't know what that is. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what I'm supposed to be doing. So, so then I went with, if I could use the word uh, rigor, yeah. to, uh, to, f- to figure out and learn about what that is. And, and, and I discovered there's a whole industry around that, which at the time we referred to as training and development. And now it's you know, we call it any number of things. And I started doing research on who did what. And, and, and I had a business background that I was talented in front of people you know, from my musician stuff. And I did a little bit of acting in the past. So I, I had that kind of thing. And I just put all that together. And I said, I can teach I can teach stuff to business people. Wow. <laughs> so I, I got I got a lucky break. I was given a you know a chance to, to work for a small consulting company. And that was back in 1988. Wow. And from that point on is just been building and building and building. And along that journey, I discovered that leadership was really my focus. And that became my my area of passion and expertise. So what got me through it, you know, to answer your question, what got me through that valley was was focusing on that question even and especially through the pain of not knowing the answer.
1: Mm, wow. So what kind of emotion did you go to in that time of uncertainty where you're sh- you're certain that at the one point that you've got to answer the question, but you're uncertain about what it is. You also have a family. What were some of the emotions you're struggling through during that time? Because how long is that window of time for you? Is it, did it last six months? Was it three months? Well, What was it?
2: Well, I'd say that the, the prevailing emotion during that time, as I recall it, and kind of put myself back into it, was anguish. Mm. Oh, wow. It was anguish. I mean, it was, it was such a deep yearning and, and being so, I felt so um, so aware of that lack. Now, at the same time, you know, my, my kids were young. I, you know, I, I passionately loved my kids. I uh, didn't have the greatest marriage. That was my, my first, you know, my first wife. Um, but, but I had crushing responsibility to feed these people. Mm. So, you know, there was there was a lot going on and and it added up to anguish. And at the same time, I mean, it's pretty obvious that if I didn't have hope Mm. and optimism mixed in with that, I wouldn't have pursued the question. Right. So even though I remember the experience as being tremendously painful, I also had the knowledge that there that there was an answer in it and that I would find it. And it took me. You know, it took maybe a couple of years, uh, a couple of years to find it. I was starting, you know, I was aware of the gap between my purpose and my activity from, you know, through the whole time I had my business. So it really went on for many years.
0: You know, I'd like to take some time here because we haven't really talked about this on the other uh, shows. Uh, You know, with the younger generation coming up, what you would see, I kind of, you see a lot more than I see, but... I I've witnessed in the past where young entrepreneurs go, okay, I got to go to school. I got to get good grades. I got to get a job. I got to learn to skill. I got to do all the research. I got everything in line before I make this leap. And you know, it's really cool for you to hear for hear you say, and I know in my experience, I started my company. It was like, I didn't have anything, man. I went off of, like you said, hope, And I went off the, you know, the confidence that I could do something and that was pretty much it. And I figured out the rest, you know, like we don't have this there is no perfect system to get to where you're at. It's, it's an intuition. It's a hope. Can you talk about that?
2: Yeah, I think that's, I think that's true for, for a lot of people, maybe even most people. Mm -hmm. I mean, there are the exceptions. There are, there are people that, that they're, they're clear on this from the time they're kids. And, and they pursue a very, you know, specific path all the way through their education and graduate and go out and get a job or start a practice in their field. But that's not the majority. Yeah. Um, you know, it's most of us are, are, are yearning. And I would say there's a lot of kids um, and a lot of people that that never even, it never even occurs to them to ask the question, mm. what, what am, you know, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to be doing? Um it's funny. I'm I'm involved in a in a, a volunteer group here in San Diego called the Community Alliance for Youth Success. It was started by uh, Bobby DePorter, who's a legendary educator, and Stedman Graham, who you know everybody knows as you know Oprah's guy. Yep. Um, I know him as Stedman. Um, <laughs> cool. But uh, we were just having we had a meeting last night. And this is what we were talking about that our kids that I don't they they're never given the opportunity to even ask what what's my purpose and if we want if we want people to be successful it starts when we're kids and because if if I'm not clear on my purpose the success isn't going to come yeah. or it's going to come as, as a, at a at a great price and and only on one level I mean I could still make money and and all that without having any idea what I'm supposed to be doing on this planet that doesn't mean that I'm going to be happy and fulfilled so um so it depends on how you define success I guess right so I think it's, it's a question that we need, to, we need to encourage each other to ask. And here's the thing. We live in an age where we want everything right now. Yep. So if I'm going to ask the question, I want the answer.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: So we have to get comfortable with the ambiguity. We have to get comfortable with the non-answer and, and say, what's, you know, what am, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do? I have no freaking idea. That's where I was. Well, that's okay because I may not know now. But if I believe that it's there and I keep mm. looking for it, there's going to come a time where either I'll discover it gradually or like me, it's going to be like lightning striking when you hear one thing or have one conversation or see, you know, listen to a podcast or or read a blog post or see a show and you go like, bang, that's it. And then it's about really pursuing it and bringing our talents mm. up to where it, you know, where it, it, it matches our purpose and our ability to fulfill it.
0: Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, you know, the, the system of go to school, get good grades, get a job, learn a skill, get paid on that skill has led us to, I'm sure you know this stat that I think it's uh, Gallup says 68% of the US economy is disengaged at work. Yes. Whereas the people that are feeling fulfilled and have some level of self actualization feel like they're successful and purposeful. And so it's, it's entirely different to what the world is, is yeah. teaching to go do, is leaving us a big, giant gap in what we feel fulfilled to do it's it's um well the good
2: news in all this is that more and more people are having this conversation and and it's we're becoming more and more aware of the need to find meaning and purpose in our work i mean it's it's actually Mm -hmm. become becoming more and more of the of the business you know the standard business conversation there's still a huge gap between that and our ability to actually practice it which is why you know those Gallup numbers that you mentioned haven't budged and mm. in, in literally in decades. I mean, over wow. the last 10 years, they haven't moved at all. So, you know, in my work, and this is where where I hope the next peak is going to come from, mm. is you know, I have a I have a team at the Extreme Leadership Institute where fundamentally what we do is we help individuals, teams, and organizations to uh, to develop extreme leaders, create Phenomenal, award-winning cultures and produce radical results. And the way that we do that, and this is, this I think is the is the missing component, is by operationalizing love as a business practice.
0: Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, that's and, great. And you that's know, so this stuff. is
2: not about love as a, as a sentiment or yeah. a, you know, or fuzzy feeling. It's about it's about a practice and a discipline. What, what does love look like? What should it look like in the way that we conduct our business, and the way that we run our company, and the way that we take care of our customers? I believe if we can really do that as business people, um, we're going to go a long way to solving this collective angst that, that we seem to have about, you know, about our, our meaning and purpose on this planet.
0: It's such a cool point that you bring up. You know, I, I'm a, I do a lot of sports psychology work with, uh, with Liberty University's hockey team right now and uh bethel university is just out in minnesota and one of the things that i coach is empathy and it's kind of interesting you go empathy as a hockey player you mean when somebody punches me in the face i can't punch them back (laughs) like you don't know that's called low ei that's where you don't want to be because you're gonna you know you're hurting your team and so in that love it'd be interesting to talk offline but like in that love side of things like empathy and awareness has to be part of that equation is that
2: yeah, yeah, unquestionably. I mean, love is a very broad umbrella. What's What's powerful about it is that we, as human beings, we universally recognize that it's important. But then there's there are lots of things that that lead into that. I mean, if I, you know, it, so empathy and 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 trust and yeah. you know, we could come up with it with a with a whole long list. Yeah. But.
1: Hey, know Steph, yeah, we're, I know yeah. we're past our time, yeah. but I do want to ask more questions along that line, Steve. So there, there's so yeah. many different, as you just got done saying words and different things we can call it. How did you narrow it down to get to kind of the tip of the spear and land on love? Because mm-hmm. some people have an issue with love. And so I, I've had teams, I've led actually through some of your material and we've had to land on the word care. Do you care for yeah. someone? Yeah, I can care for somebody, but darn it, I don't love them. How did you yeah. land on love?
2: Yeah, so... Um, Th- that is it is a longer conversation, but let me let me net it out like this, because, you know, I'm coming at this ultimately from a business perspective. Right. I, I am a business guy. I've been you know, the business has been my playground for 30 years. Uh, so care is a great word. Passion is a great word. These are all great words, but they're they're also dancing around around the main thing. Uh, the bottom line is this. I'll I'll just I'll just. Net it out from the business perspective. If we want to have a competitive advantage in business, we have to create products and services that our customers are going to love. They don't love what we do for them. There's no greater likelihood they're going to stay with us or come back or talk about us, period. So if we want to create products and services that our customers are going to love, the only way to do that in a meaningful and sustainable way over time is to create a culture that people love working in.
0: So we're not creating products, good and services that people care about. That's right. We're, c- we're creating care, product, good or services if I, if that they love, it, right?
2: Yeah, I care. That's yeah, yeah. I care. Well, you know, care about it is better than satisfied with it. I'll give you right. that.
0: Oh <laughs> <But, laughs> well, yeah,
2: I'm satisfied. Okay, well, I could be satisfied over there too. Yeah. I mean, that's that's easy. Um, but lo- there's something about love that that you know, it's a deeper connection, right? So we have to create a, an environment that people love working in. And as leaders, as business people we can't create an environment that people love working in unless we love them and we love the business and we love what we're trying to do first. So it all becomes very personal very quickly. And then, then the work becomes around, okay, well, if that's true, then what, what does or should that look like? Awesome. And that's where, that's where we get into this idea of, of, as I said earlier, operationalizing love, putting it into practice.
0: So as we land a plane here, we went a little bit over time, but I think it was fantastic. Yeah. Thank you so much. If there's one thing that you could encourage those leaders out there that are hearing this podcast, watching this video while they're in the Valley, what's one encouragement that you would give them? What would you say to them?
2: Yeah, I, I, I would say it's never give up on asking the question, your version of the question, what is my purpose? Or another way of saying it is, what am I supposed to be doing here? What am I What am I meant for? Mm. Never give up on asking that question, even when, and especially when, the answer is not clear to you. The fuzzier the answer is, the more important it is to ask the question.
0: That's so good. So I just <laughs> want to say... If you're listening to that, you need to go back and listen to it again because that was really good and just understand what those words mean. That's that's powerful. Oh, absolutely.
1: Man, Steve, thank you so much for spending time
0: with us today. Really it has appreciate just it. It's been yeah. a
1: privilege to have you on here. And so, again, as I look at the camera, I want to encourage you, if you have never read one of Steve's books, go start with Radical Leap. It will change you and it will change the organization that you lead. So be careful when you read it because you're going to be pushed to do something that you may not have ever thought about doing or be ready to do. But go grab that book. We'll put resources. We will put a link to that in the show notes to make sure you can go grab it easily. But I will tell you this, please, after taking what you heard today, go do what Dave and I encourage you to do every single week. Go apply some rigor. Take care.